all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Good morning and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I am Dr. Susan Buttress, a professor of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to do a follow-up of what we did last week on trauma-informed care. So let me set the stage for you. Have you ever found yourself revisiting something that happened to you years ago? And then that history seems to keep you from living your fullest life because you keep going back, thinking about what happened, thinking maybe it was my fault that that happened to me. Or maybe it's just too embarrassing to even be able to talk about it. So you just keep pushing the thoughts back pushing them away, pushing those visions away. But then what happens is those thoughts and visions rear their ugly heads at the most inopportune times. So you'd be surprised how common trauma is. Many of us have experienced traumas in our life. It may be an automobile accident, like we were talking about in legal terms, or Or it may be something as serious as, not that automobile accidents are not serious, but something that emotionally is as so scarring like sexual abuse. But what happens is if they, if whatever that trauma was goes unaddressed, it can really cause problems in your life. So... Um, last week, I hope you listened to our podcast of, of the Trauma-Informed Care Show with Gigi Holder. Um, Gigi is back with us live today. She's a licensed clinical social worker at the Center for the Advancement of Youth, and I work with G- Gigi often and am delighted to have you back, Gigi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being being with us. And, you know, last week... Week, we talked um, pretty in depth about the hallmarks of good trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope you'll go listen to that on our Southern Remedy Relatively Speaking podcast. But today we're going to go a little bit further and then, like I said, open the phones up for calls um, to ask questions or to hear your stories. But just in a nutshell, let me just start with... 
a couple of sentences about trauma-informed care. Um, trauma-informed care shifts the focus of what's wrong with me or what's wrong with you to what happened. What happened to me? Why, what is going on that happened to me that is causing what's happening now? Is that right, Gigi? Yes, absolutely. I think, again, that question, like you said, paramount, really flipping that to say what happened to you as a way to pull out a story. Right. Yeah. Um, because for many of us, for not for all mental behavioral issues is it that something happened to you. But in many cases... Um, even if you struggle with anxiety or depression, there might be some link there to other issues or traumas that have happened, right? Yeah, absolutely. It can be if we start to approach and think about trauma as the layers of it. It's like peeling back the layers of an onion. If we can just kind of get that picture in our minds to start at the outer layer, we really want to try to get to the core of it so we can have a better opportunity of treating it and treating it well. Right. And so as we move along, um, listeners, I, I really want you to think about is there is there something that keeps bubbling up that's keeping you from experiencing your life to the fullest? If there's something there, then perhaps this is a good time to, to sort of take hold of it to grasp it, to think about it, and then decide whether or not there is something that you need to do. So a trauma-informed approach sort of acknowledges that that care teams need to really have a complete picture of an individual, the past and the present, not just the present, not just what's going on right now, but perhaps why what's going on right now is is happening. And so um, that's where I, I want all of you listeners to understand that this has been a big movement, hasn't it? Um, GG, trauma-informed care is is something that's relatively new. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's gotten more traction within the last 10 or so years. Um, As you and I spoke before, it's becoming, it feels like more of that catchphrase, if you will, but it is getting more traction, more and more clinicians, more and more organizations are becoming aware of this and trying to intentionally make sure that this is something that they offer. Um, is trauma-informed care. So I I do think we probably need to repeat a little bit about trauma-informed care um, to to get this to make sense to you listeners. So trauma-informed care um, tries, as I think I've already implied, to realize the widespread impact of trauma and, and understand where we need to go for recovery, right? Right. So um, does that help us uh, avoid re-traumatization? That is the goal um, of practicing and implementing trauma-informed care. Like like you just mentioned, we are acknowledging and recognizing the past, the present of how trauma plays a part for an individual, but then also really highlighting how is it that we not want to 
re-traumatize. We don't want to further that trauma. It's about healing it mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, in its own way, keeping it going. Yeah. 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 So we talked, um, too, sort of about the the hallmarks, and we went into depth mm-hmm. on them. But just to repeat them, the, the hallmarks, if you will, are... Yes. So... Um, we can think of them as key principles of key trauma, principles. Yeah, okay. uh-huh, of trauma-informed right. care. So these are the things that we want to make sure that, again, either as clinicians uh, and as organizations, that these are the um, cor- cornerstones. These are the principles that we are putting forth to make sure that we are um, providing um, trauma-informed care um, to our to our clients and to patients. So safety is one. Um, making sure that the the place and the space where the individual is receiving the treatment that they feel safe to be able to tell their stories, um, to be able to um, share and and gain uh, the trust of of others around them. Um, making sure that again it's just a warm and inviting environment. Um, trustworthiness. Speaking of trust, trustworthiness and transparency is mm-hmm. the second principle. Mm-hmm. Um, again, is this uh, um, uh, the who the client, who the person is interacting with, are they able to build um, a, a rapport, build a relationship where that it invites them to uncover their story, to share their trauma experience, and for us to be able to have that transparency with them as well, to let them know that, you know, hey, again, we're all so human. There might be times that uh, we also, um, uh, if there's been a trauma that we have experienced, is there some type of way that as appropriately that we can let our clients know that, you know, it's like I've been in your shoes or been in something similar. You can really empathize. So so that they can be some type Mm -hmm. of relatability right Right. there. Peer support was another one, another uh, key principle that we mentioned, Um, not only with the clinician, but are there other um, uh, individuals within that clinic or within that organization who um, can can provide some type of support to the individual that went through the trauma experience. Um, collaboration, um, making sure that the, the the trauma process is a collaboration between um, the individual and the therapist or the or the therapy team. Um, we want to make sure that we're going at the at the individual's pace. It's not about rushing. Um, we really think about it as the client is the guide and the right. clinician is you know kind of helping to man the ship, if you will. Um, and then lastly, um, f- a couple other things are empowerment. That, that's one of my I love that fa- one. favorite yeah. ones. Absolutely. Really Empowering about, the patient. Yeah. Right. Taking them yeah. from feeling as a victim to survivor. Right. I think if, really just trying to sum that up. How is it that they can gain empowerment from what they went through, building them back up, and then humility and responsiveness. Um, just treating individuals as truly as a person and being responsive to what they need at that time as right. they're sharing their trauma stories. Making sure there are no right. biases, right. stereotypical right. views right. of things. Being or, mindful of judgment, absolutely. Right, being very mindful of that. Mm-hmm. So those are the basic principles, mm-hmm. listeners. Um, and and as we move along in the show, I really would like for us to also address when we believe that we are getting appropriate therapy. If you're going to therapy, 
are you being addressed in the appropriate way? And and if not, um, how to take a handle on that? How do you know if the therapist is a good one? How do you know that they are approaching things in the right way? And we'll come back to that in a few minutes because I think that could be probably a prolonged conversation. <laughs> I have a case example, though, I think that might also explain what trauma-informed care, why we need it. Um, so, listeners, if you have questions or thoughts right now, you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Gigi Holder, licensed clinical social worker, and we're we're talking about the benefits of providing really good trauma-informed care and what it is. And um, so, let me let me just explain the through a case vignette what the benefits of of providing trauma and care are trauma informed care are they're they're really benefits not just for for patients for children and adults who are going for this care but also for the the providers of the care of the staff um because many times individuals will have some difficulty with having open relationships with health care providers, um, don't appropriately go to visits, don't fully disclose what's going on because of some of the things that we mentioned earlier, because they don't trust and they don't feel like they're valued and they don't feel like somebody's collaborating with them. So, okay, I'm a pediatrician, as you know, and so... Uh, by heart, um, I'm going to talk about uh, a child case. Um, so one day, a, a six-year-old little boy and his four-year-old sister came in for their annual physicals. They were getting ready to go back to school, and they had to have their school shots, as we call them. Mother was with them. Neither wanted shots. They were both quite upset. Normal, right? right. Pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Um And the mother says, you'll do what the doctor tells you. Is that clear? She ordered them. Okay. Um, And then she and the nurse proceeded to work together to hold the child down, the little girl, the four-year-old. Just as the nurse was about to give her the shot, the little girl jerked away, ran to the opposite corner of the room, crying and screaming. And the little brother ran over in front of her stood in front of her with his arms outstretched, guarding her, and yelled, get away, leave her alone, you can't touch her. So, you know, the focus was on trying to force them to have their shots, the nurse and the mother grabbing at him. Um, The shots were required for school, right? Um, But it only made things worse. It turned into a real chaotic situation. Um, The little girl was screaming. The boy was fighting for her. No one calmed them down. And so a physician came in and said, okay, stop. We're not going to do this today. Um, We'll we'll have to – mom and the kids will have to deal with this, figure out how to make this easier, and come back. So what happened, though, they didn't come back. And months later, it was found that the children had been removed from the home by the Department of Human Services for um, abuse. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So you can only imagine what was really happening, right? Right. That um, that the little boy had taken a stance of defense because that's likely what he was doing before. Right. And some other instance, he felt he had to do that. He's already had experience with that, thus taking the same stance in the doctor's office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, first of all, before listeners, you think, oh, my gosh, every child who runs away from a vaccine is not uh, has not been abused. And that's true. But there were there were some indicators there with a six year old brother. Right. Being defensive and the mother not being empathetic at all. Right. right? Like the first part that she said, um, uh, her tone and what she'd mentioned saying that you know you'll do what the doctor tells you so we're we're hearing that in the doctor's office who knows to what extent you know that type of language that type of tone is being said at the home and around what other you know either activities chores anything like that right so you know like I said, I can in, I can remember crawling under an exam table when I was about to get a shot for a sore throat. My mother was mortified and finally convinced me by telling me that I'd feel a lot better if I came out. And mm-hmm. I did. But I still, I think I was five. And I still vividly remember squeezing my little self under that exam room table. So um, I think to good care. And if if we were all trained in what trauma-informed care, you start looking at signs and symptoms of of what is going on. The point here is that the child was clearly afraid of being held down. Um, what also pointed out was that her brother jumped to her defense. I will say, in most family situations, that would not happen. The little, right. the older brother would probably go, oh, good grief. She right. needs to get her shot. I'm mm-hmm. going to get mine. I'm going to be brave. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it, it, to me, a light bulb should have come on. Something else is going on here. Yes. And that would have opened up an opportunity to hopefully be able to ask mom some questions to say, you know, I notice that he did this. Has he shown this behavior before? And maybe to what extent? Right. Yeah. So, so here, that was a child example, but there are many adults who sort of operate um, in the same fearful way. And it can, it can be expressed in a physician's office. For example, um, an individual who avoids annual checkups mm-hmm. because they don't want to take their clothes off in front of someone. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have to deal with someone else touching their body because of a history of something really negative that happened. Um, or... Now, let me get out of the exam room for a minute. I will say that um, I was in a really bad car wreck after a terrible, it was during a terrible rainstorm and I was working at a clinic um, outside of town. This is many years ago uh, and I was going to work in an emergency room. And I was driving, and um, actually, I was—I had finished work, and I was on the way home, and it was raining. And I approached a fork in the road and put on my brakes because I did not 
uh, almost miss a fork. It was dark. I skidded off the road into a tree, not sure why I survived, and I wasn't even seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the windows were broken. Um, some people stopped to make sure I was okay. Um, and and I, I was okay. And they took me to... Um, they were a bunch of very nice basketball players from Mississippi State, mm-hmm. I will say. I'll never forget them. And they took me to uh, the nearest hospital, and I was fine. My husband came, and everything was fine. The bottom line, though, was that after that, for probably four or five years, mm-hmm. I had great difficulty driving in the rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I was able to work through it, work through it by myself. Mm-hmm. I think I do have some resiliency, but it took me probably five or six years to get over that. Now, had I thought about getting some help, it may not have taken five or six years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't have to be abuse or something terrible like that. It truly can be right. something like a car accident. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I think typically when we think about trauma, we tend to think of like kind of like the more, like you said, obvious things like abuse or something along that line. But, you know, truly trauma for any of us is whatever the event that left such a, a delible impact like that like you said like a car accident could be bullying it can be domestic violence it can be even um if we are not the direct recipient of that trauma there's also called secondary trauma and that's a whole nother could even be its own other topic um but even just witnessing um domestic violence neighborhood violence something along that line even just being a witness to that um has its own uh imprintation of um of trauma yeah so, listeners, have you experienced something that you feel like you're still working to get over? Maybe it was witnessing something that happened. Um, you know, it, it could be um, witnessing a drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be um, coming up on someone who has died. Uh, I know that there are so many instances and let me just give you a little bit of of data yeah now abuse and violence alone the numbers are sobering if we look at physical sexual and emotional abuse there is a huge percentage of individuals who have experienced that either themselves or or um, have witnessed it, right? Mm-hmm, have right. been involved in domestic violence, where right. um, perhaps you were a child and um, witnessed your parents mm-hmm. um, fighting, or your mother being abused, or your father being abused. Mm-hmm. A very large number, right, of right. individuals who have experienced that. Yeah, absolutely. Of being, you know, being in that space, hearing it, seeing it you know they can have flashbacks to where they were at the time when that was happening yeah absolutely and so an, another thing that and and this is actually why we decided to start this a couple of weeks ago the trauma informed care piece is um 
dealing with disasters. Um, many, many individuals in our state and our surrounding states have experienced some pretty severe and significant disasters over the last, I'd say, 12 years. Um, you know, seemingly starting with Katrina and then the BP oil spill and then more storms and um, tornadoes and and our neighbors in Rolling Fork and Silver City who have just experienced that. You know, there is, if you think about it, all of us at one time or another are exposed to trauma. And the way we deal with it somewhat has to do with with our ability to be resilient, but also has to do with support structure, understanding, and how we are are able to deal with it um, as we are moving along trying to recover from it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit, if, if we can, Gigi, mm-hmm. about those resiliency and f- protective factors. Mm-hmm. And as we're moving along, trying to figure out the dealing of trauma and how we deal with that, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that can maybe protect us or if we are not, we'll never be protected from mm-hmm. all trauma, right? Right. But what are the protective factors that sort of are a shield that keep us from um, from falling into some of the terrible negative effects right. that trauma can cause? Absolutely. Because, again, two people can go through, experience the same trauma, the same event, but they're going to em- embody it and process it, interpret it in different ways. Absolutely. I like what you said about how is it a shield? Um, and I think that's a good way to think of um, protective factors for ourselves. What helps us to feel like we have that that safeguard, that shield, our armor that helps us to feel um, even stronger, that I can get through this. Yes, this happened to me, but I'm strong enough to get past it. Um, resiliency, again, um, is a big word. Um, some of that comes from a great deal of it actually comes from um, just our, our temperament. You know, I mean, we're all born with a, a different type of temperament. Um, some kind of being more, I'm going to say, like kind of cool, calm, collected, and some might mm-hmm. be a little bit more reactive, but how we learn about ourselves from that and how we um, interpret different um, interactions or different events that happen to us, lets us know of what our resiliency is. When stress goes up, how do we approach it? That's a good way to be able to, a good indicator to know what is your resiliency level. From that coping skills, we always kind of hear the typical like deep breathing or maybe visualization, kind of picturing yourself in a pleasant pace, place somewhere that helps you to feel calm. Um, you know, it, it kind of sounds simple, but at the same time, these are the types of skills that can help us. But if we use them in those moments, if we're proactively using them at the times when we need them, kind of thinking as coping skills, as tools in your toolbox, the more tools that we have, the more it's going to support us when it comes to the times when we need them, especially from events from trauma. If we only have that one tool that we go to for every single thing, it may not be appropriate, may not be what we need at that time. So definitely resiliency and support systems as well. 
have we have you had any kind of trauma out there listeners I, I truly believe, you know, as I've reviewed this, um, the more I think about it, uh, probably every single one of us, if we've lived life, have experienced some trauma, mm-hmm. right? Right. And how how you deal with it, how we deal with it, is something that is is important for us to learn to deal with it right. And we were talking about some of those tools in your toolbox on how we take care of ourselves. What do we do? And um, we were talking a little bit about mindfulness, mm-hmm. which I just think is such a wonderful um Again, this is mindfulness is relatively new. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been part of therapy. You know, back in the old days, it was all talk therapy about what happened to you in the past and and how you dealt with it and what kind of trauma and then just talk about it back and forth. Mindfulness is is a bit different and it it works toward pulling you into the present. Um, I'll just interesting. Um, one of my daughters um, over this holiday weekend had a conversation about um, an issue that she was working to deal with, and she said um, something that I thought was really interesting. I, it's just my cue to be mama and talk to her about my my knowledge right. in this area put the mama hat on <laughs> put the mama hat on and she said you know something that uh, I, I do a lot is i worry about what happened in the past what i said in the past what happened what what didn't happen she in ruminates the past, ruminates things, yeah. about the past yeah. and then um she'll jump forward and then start worrying about that future piece Mm -hmm. and then okay so that happened in the past what's going to happen in the future Mm -hmm. can that happen again could it potentially be the same scenario over Mm -hmm. and over again what what do i do and so um it that is one of those things that with good mindfulness you want to make sure that you are not allowing yourself to go too far in the past or to to move too far worry too much in the future but to deal with things um that that are in the here and now um so I think we need to make sure that we center back into the here and now. And so, you know, with my daughter, we talked about that and how do you do that. And and some of that is just to, to experience where you are. Think about who you are, how you're breathing, mm-hmm. um, who you're with. Really, really make yourself center. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when we think about mindfulness, it really is about expanding our awareness for how certain things, again, events, interactions, how they are 
affecting and impacting us. So just like what you mentioned about your daughter, she was becoming aware that, okay, I'm starting to be stuck in the past. I'm starting to think like what happened, you know, yesterday, two weeks ago, something like that, how that's affecting me now, but then already projecting her worries and concerns for in the future. So that awareness right there, that first and foremost, before we can make any type of an impact or change um, is to be mindful of to recognize how is this affecting me now? Because that's going to be our guide for how we can um, approach it. Right. Okay. So I, I know we had a caller who tried to call in. Call back. Don't, I, I really would like to have you share. We are talking about trauma informed care, mindfulness, how to deal with some of those difficult things that keep coming back up and causing some rumination. So um, join in the conversation, listeners. We'd like to hear from you. Um, I'm going to, you know, we were talking about how to pull yourself to the center. One of my favorite things, and this came out during the early days of of COVID, um, we had, um, and I, I actually did a short podcast on this, on how do you bring yourself to the center and stop worrying about what's going on? And it's the five, four, three, two, one things. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the five things that you see around you? Mm-hmm. And so identify five things that you see. Um, and then <clears throat> make yourself concentrate on those. Mm-hmm. And then more, what are the four things? Close your eyes mm-hmm. and think about the four things that, you hear around you right absolutely so getting in touch with those um those senses you know touch taste smell sound hear all of that all of Mm -hmm. that and that can be very very centering Mm -hmm. and and bring you back from the past or worrying about the future but center yourself back to the here and now and that can make a big difference Mm -hmm. um in in how you are able to then calm yourself because a lot of that is just making yourself calm Mm -hmm. um, so that you you can deal with the here and now because you can't deal with the here and now if your brain is back 10 years ago right yeah yeah, absolutely again because we stay stuck in that past stuck in that past right when we have to learn how to um, uh, respond to that concern now in this present time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think another thing too, as you were talking, reminds me of grounding, grounding techniques as well. So what do I physically feel around my body right now? I'm sitting in a chair, my feet are on the ground. What's the temperature of the room? Things along that line. Mm. Grounding is another grounding great, um, technique as well. I for love mindfulness. that. Yeah. yeah. I can feel my bottom and yeah. the chair bottom. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, let's go to the phones. We have Bob in Hattiesburg with a comment on his trauma and therapy. Hi, Bob. Thanks for calling. Hello. How are you doing today? Doing Are well. We okay? Doing great, thanks. Hey, I just had a comment on uh, therapy and trauma as a person who has experienced a good bit of both. And I think for me personally, it was a good bit of frustration associated with not being able to find answers or get answers to problems, especially 
mental health concerns, uh, really any obstacle, etc. And I think it's frustrating to approach therapy with the goal of getting answers and solutions. And uh, it seems to be more helpful to approach therapy with a sense of just seeking a reset and an ability to clear your mind so that you can uh, then see what answers you might even want to pursue. Anyway, I will hang up and listen to the rest of the discussion, but I do find that it seems many people are turned off by therapy for those reasons. Uh, feeling like they're not getting something out of it, maybe not realizing what they should be getting out of it. Oh, good comments, Bob. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that so two things that come to mind. First of all, Bob, I hope that in whatever way that you are able to continue on on that journey, um, we run into roadblocks or we can run into roadblocks where we feel like I I still haven't found someone to really support me to help me work through this. So I'm just going to stop trying. Um, There are and there is someone out there, a, a, a trained therapist who can uh, work with you to, to give you what you need and what you feel like you want from that therapy. It does come, it's kind of a uh, two pronged where we as the individual going to that therapist, we need to be again, feel empowered to say, what is it that we want to accomplish in the therapy? I heard you say, um, like, uh, finding answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times when we, uh, you know, for clients going into therapies, like, well, why did this happen to me? Or, you know, kind of wanting mm-hmm. to ask those bigger type of questions. And no one can answer, answer that. those. Right. That's not really the goal or the purpose of therapy, any type of therapy going into it, if we can have that mindset of, I'm trying to take what happened to me and not find answers to why it happened, but finding out, okay, now that it's happened, how am I able to get through it? How am I able to work past what happened? Um, so it's, again, it's it's stepping away from trying to find answers right. and about getting tools. Tools yeah. on how to deal with it now, right. in right. the here and now. Yeah, because it's never going to go away. Right. It won't. It, no, no amount of therapy will change the past. That's a really good point, and I think we have to to remind ourselves of that. No mm-hmm. amount of therapy will change the past, right. but it will change the way you deal with the past and let go of it so that you can live in the here and now. Right, right? and prepare for a kind of a better, hopefully brighter future. Brighter future. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that call. That was really a good good point mm-hmm. that you allowed us to make. Okay, let's stay in the phones. We have Jeff and Brandon, who has some trauma from 10 years ago. Jeff, talk to us about that. Hi. Um, I had a dream job. It was more than like 15 years ago. And I lost it to nobody's fault but my own. And it has been the most traumatic thing in my life. And I can't seem to find help to get through it. Um, Here in Mississippi, I was referred to a nurse practitioner who merely writes prescriptions. She doesn't really ever talk mm-hmm. to me about my problem. And I don't know, um, I don't know if that's normal for such a long time mm, that, or right. where to turn for help. 
Well, first of all, just I'll make a comment, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Gigi. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, medication alone will not help you work through that. Uh, honestly, no. um, I think that that is is one thing that I would never recommend mm-hmm. for something specific like that. Um, it sounds like you were going through a grief process mm-hmm. that you needed help with moving through the grief process, not. Not a I've medication. Not to anyone, I've not mentioned this to anyone until today, mm-hmm. and I, I heard your your sub- subject matter today, and that's why I wanted to call. Well, I am so glad you did yeah. because maybe we can help you get on the path to to better health, right? Gigi, why yeah. don't you take this? Yeah, the, I think the one of the good things now, um, and especially, I kind of hate to say, like what one of the good things that came out of COVID, but um, there are a lot of providers now, even if it's not somebody directly in our same area. Um, there could be individuals across the state. Telehealth is still an option. So if you feel like we may not find a local therapist in our area, there are a lot of providers now, uh, you know, across the state, you know, as long as like with your insurance that, you know, that they take that, that is, that's an option right there. Um, Such as better health or something. And now, so that is um, more of a, you know, of course, commercialized um, option for therapy in the sense where a lot of different therapists across the country um, in different areas um, work for better help. And you can, you can still find a licensed therapist that way, even just, um, you know, kind of just doing a Google search and saying, you know, therapist in Mississippi, you know, and, and that will pull up some, some statewide therapists, you know, that are that are, are able to offer telehealth. They're private providers, so they have their own clinics, um, and uh, and they're still able to offer um, good evidence based um, therapy. It's just through telehealth. If the if the individual isn't right in your area, and you know okay. what we'll we'll do we'll we'll try to do for you, Jeff, is to. Um, come up with some and we'll post those on our podcast if you will check that Um, but Jeff kudos to you for recognizing that it's more than just medication that is needed you're at a point now where you're wanting to talk about this to express this and so that is again that mindfulness that first step in recognizing if I'm going to get assistance with this any type of treatment this is the method that I need to go towards I need to be able to talk about this Right. So talk therapy, psychotherapy um, is, is sounding like the, 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 the tool right now. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Oh, Jeff, that. thank you for calling. That was, that was great. Yeah. So today we have Gigi Holder, licensed clinical social worker, who is an expert in trauma-informed care. And we're talking about what that is and, and, and how to take care of some of those long-term things that may be haunting you. Okay, we're going to stay in the phones. We've got a couple of calls. Let's see if we can get to both of them. Next is Kat in Mobile. Kat has a digging deep comment, Kat. Yes, yes. So good morning, y'all. Hi. Good morning. So something that I talk to my patients about, um, because I love imagery, and so we talk about when it comes to digging deep, sometimes some pe- people can ask us um, what's wrong, and we say we don't know. Mm-hmm. And that can be a real answer. I, I don't know. And so the imagery that I draw is um, 
So we can all be a little lazy sometimes and not want to take out the trash. And so what do we do? We push it down because I don't feel like dealing with it. I don't want to go outside. And so we push it down and push it down. But I tell them, eventually you're going to come in the house and it's going to smell terrible. And now you have to deal with it. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. But it's this, it's really the same thing that we do with our emotions. I don't want to cry. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to think about it. But eventually, it will get to the point, like the last caller, now it's surfacing. He can't run from it. It's right there in his face. And so um, I just wanted to encourage people, if you don't know, that may be a real answer. There's so much stuff I push down that I really don't know. But to start sorting through that stuff, because it, it can get to the point where it's, um, you know, overly ripe in the house. So that's just my comment. Cat, great, great comment. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that that is one thing that as therapy has evolved over the years, uh, that has been looked at and it is recommended that you don't teach people to push those thoughts out. Right. That avoidance right there, because a way to think about it, that that is our bodies and our brains way of protecting ourselves, mm-hmm. even though there's that adverse effect of, again, the more that you avoid, the more that you push down, then things are just going to stack on top of that. And eventually something that it can pile over, it's going to bubble over. Right. Yeah. And maybe sometimes bubble over worse and higher um, to almost an explosion rather than um, being able to deal with it. Like for our previous caller, um, Jeff did mention that he he lost his job, he said, through my own fault. And, And I think he was making himself face it and deal with mm-hmm. it and then maybe that'll help as like you said he's ready to talk about it now needs somebody to help him talk through it right and again and cat i know you'll agree with us on this one medicines are needed sometimes no doubt about it but sometimes we tend to use medicines to sort of push things away and right. out to be the cure-all and Almost. to numb yeah. the number, yep, and and that does not teach us to deal with anything, right? Right, exactly. Again, that can be it's kind of a catch twenty two, if mm-hmm. you will. You know, it can be helpful, but if it's not helping us, if it's not allowing us to get to the core of the concern, then it's just again stacking it like an, an this another layering, another um, way of layering, layering, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, we have one more caller. Let's go to Bobby in Jackson. Hi, Bobby. Um, in my toolbox is my faith. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday this past week, and we sang, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, I Have No Fear. Because I know he holds my future, and life is worth living because he lives. So I hear you, Bobby. And I think that is one thing that um, we probably 
can comment on pretty quickly is that sometimes having having a faith, yes. having having something to go to, mm-hmm. um, it might be your faith. It might be someone very close to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because in a way, if we can think of it as faith can serve as an anchor right. for ourselves, you know, again, and in, in, instill and strengthen that resiliency provides us a way to look at things as what do we say here the storm is right now but it won't last always and i will get through this it helps to promote that that sense of um just just again brighter days are to come right yeah Mm -hmm. right i think that was that was a good ending for us. Yeah. So, Gigi, we have about a minute. Do you have some final advice to our listeners about trauma-informed care? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just I hope that, again, for anyone listening, I think we've mentioned this before when we spoke um, on this topic, that it is never too late to yes. address any type of trauma concerning event that has ever happened to you. Um, whether it be directly or indirectly. So just don't lose. I hope that those listening don't lose sight of that. It's never too late. It's never too late. Um, Thank you so much, as always. Your plethora of information. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is great. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and the funded provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from people like you listeners. Um, If you'd like to hear this show again or that past episode or any past episode, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app by searching Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, engineered by my producer, Jay White. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.